Okay, welcome to another episode of No Excuses Real Inspiration, hosted by Scott Marshall. So today we have the overdue catch-up with Colin Fisher. So thank you, Colin, for giving up some of your time this morning. You're welcome, glad to be here. So obviously, um, it's been a while since our last interview, so let's just do a wee recap. What's been happening in the last year for yourself Tricky. Um, now you're asking, I need, I need to come up with something exciting now. <laughs> I mean, it was about a year ago, was it? I can't believe it was as, as, as long as that. But yeah, I mean, um, I guess most of my time is spent predominantly in the range, working with a range of different players. Um, I've done a lot of stuff, I think just after, it must have been, I guess it was last springtime or something. We, we yeah, that's in, right. I mean, so um, I was out in Germany in June with the under-18s at the European Team Championships. That was great. Really, really good experience out there for, for 10 days with the boys. Um, uh, I've done a lot of stuff with county players, both in the range in a winter programme. And we've just been doing some golf course stuff uh, from a strategy perspective. Um, and then working, I was out, I was doing stuff at Scottish Girls. Um, and I'm just about to do some stuff with the some of the boys that are playing the Scottish Boys Amateur, which is in Lanark in July. So next week I've got the boys coming in looking at some uh, some on course stuff, how we how we map the course on Google Earth before we play a practice round, and then I'll be out with them in the practice round and then observing in the tournament as well. So yeah, I mean, with with most golfers, we're doing stuff in the range or short game area with the kind of uh, performance players more. We tend to do a lot of the, the stuff that actually what, what we see happening when they play. So what the routines are like, what their mentality is like, are they sticking to their plans? Um, and then we can sort of debrief afterwards. So we kind of look at performance rather than rather than some of the technical skills with some of the guys that are already technically very competent. Now, nah, fantastic. Obviously, it sounds like you've got a busy lifestyle there, Colin. Yeah, really busy. It's full on. Um, okay, so obviously with the podcast today, Obviously, previously we done an episode prior, um, but today we're just going to focus on golf, you know, the benefits of golf. So, obviously, what are the benefits of playing golf for overall health and fitness? Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, general fitness, walking is obviously a fairly reasonable way of, of most folks keeping fit, and a huge amount of people now, whether they work from home or working office, they're, they're fairly sedentary, you know, they're, they're not doing a huge amount. So uh, if we can walk around the golf, it's going to be somewhere between, depending on length of course and how much space you've got between green and tee, you're probably talking four or five miles. And that's that's if you're in a straight line. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so that, that in itself goes for itself. But I think probably more importantly as well to that, just getting out in the fresh air, enjoying time with other people, you know, it's probably going to be really good for your mental health as well, apart from, apart from the physical side of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if someone's doing that two two three times a week, that's that's really going to be helpful. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah so that goes without saying. Ah, good. So, yeah. And then for yourself, Colin, obviously you mentioned how busy you are. How how often would you get out and play around yourself? Uh, I get on average about a dozen games a year. So I, I play. I take a group away to Turkey in March time. So and there we're I'm obviously playing with them on the course, looking at golf course uh, performance. But then we do coaching before and or after the rounds as well. So that's a pretty full on week. So I'll get five games within that week, and then I get about another seven or so games during the during the season. So um, last three games I had, I had a game at Erskine with uh, 
three mates in kind of April time. May had a game with three pals at Dundonald, and and then I played with my, my neighbour and his pal at Killy just a couple of days ago, last last Wednesday. So yeah, so I, yeah, I get, I get about one a month, and then the height of the season, and then those those five. Ah, oh, good. The, the, the kind of early springtime. Okay, and then yeah, sadly not enough, but you know. Yeah, well, enough. you know, obviously, it's quite interesting that um that most of your your time is spent obviously on the range. You're you're helping other golfers improve their, you know, their swing, etc. Um, but the majority of your time is just practice. Well, for, for me personally, I don't be I don't even have time to practice. To be fair, so right. I don't I don't hit balls other than if I'm hitting the odd demo shot um, during a session, and, and that probably will take place of either an exaggeration of what a client's doing currently or what they need to feel they're doing to improve. So it's not even a normal swing I'll be doing, and that'll be pretty ten shots a day max, really. So um, yeah, I don't really practice, um, and it's it's kind of a strange one. I guess you think in the golf industry you'd you'd be completely full on with it the whole time but uh, you know obviously Monday, Tuesday, Thursday I'm in coaching 9 till 9 um, and work at the Saturday, work on Saturday as well and a Friday so yeah I mean it's long long days so it doesn't really leave much time uh, it's obviously dark for the most part of the year when I finish at 9 at night so it doesn't really leave much time so I, I can play on my day off on a Wednesday or, or a good on a Sunday but I often find myself doing some stuff for one of the local clubs have asked me to do some stuff uh, on a Sunday for junior, so I end up doing that on my days off some, sometimes on a Sunday too. So just, you know, if, if, I, if I wasn't working so many hours, I'd, I'd probably play, if I was retired, for example, I'd play probably three, four times a week. Yeah. Um, but now you're a long way away from retirement, I think, Colin. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, yeah retirement would be kind of nice. But yeah, you think you have to work a few more years before they get to that stage. No, definitely. So let's talk about golf injuries. So yeah. how can golfers prevent and recover from common golf and related injuries? Yeah, it was not really my specialist field, but the most guys I see coming in, most recreational golfers at least, they have more um, pre-existing issues um, in terms of injuries, uh, whether it's guys that have got, you know, the knackered knees from playing football or um you know, historical injuries from playing football, rugby, all, all that sort of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't see many golf-specific injuries. They may have issues pre-existing, which could be aggravated slightly by golf, but I really don't see many guys who have injured themselves via golf. Yeah. Mostly, mostly from the fact that most players don't actually play enough golf or practice enough to do themselves much of an injury, to be fair. Um, I think there was, there was a seminar a while back, um, and they, they did list the most common injuries amongst tour pros. And I think it was like wrist, shoulder, uh, and I can't remember the other one, but it was there, was, there were three, it was a few years back, but it was certainly in, in tour players, they're, they're obviously hitting a lot more golf balls. Um, so there's kind of wear and tear things go on, but wrist, I'm sure it's wrist, shoulder and elbow or something like that was were the three things that would, would tend to be more, uh, more problematic. But recreational golfers, I, I really don't see any, golf specific ones so general general health fitness and strength would be would be one just general general athletic conditioning they're going to be less uh, less injuries Most yeah folk are pretty, pretty stiff don't do much aren't in great shape uh, generally speaking so um that's 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 what will create some issues um but mostly it's just pre-existing stuff that they've had and obviously talking for yourself have you had any golf related injuries from the past? 
No, I, I never have actually. Um, whether it's just been lucky or what, I don't know. But um, the only the only thing I had weirdly, I had a uh, had a cartilage op in my right knee about fourteen years ago or something like that. I just just did a torn cartilage, so I went and nibbled about two thirds of it away. Um, but it, it never ever gave me issues playing golf. Strangely, it was obviously if I if I bent down and my you know just went down and sort of squatted heavily, it would really aggravate the the knee. But uh, actually, playing golf was never an issue. So. Once I popped done and did a load of stretching afterwards, um, it was totally fine. So but it was never never sore at all playing golf, no matter how how much aggravation I had doing other stuff like you know painting skirting boards or something like that. Whoever yes. you know, down, <laughs> down low, that was that was pretty pretty brutal. But yeah, other than that, totally fine. Never never had any injuries at all. Yeah, no, you've been pretty lucky. Touch wood. Yeah, yeah, so far. No, so good. And then obviously talking about that, you know, stretching. Um, so. What would you say that the best effective warm-ups are for golfers, you know, recreational golfers going out in the course? Okay, yeah. So what what I typically see in uh, as far as warm-ups concerned is um, running to the first tee from the car park with the shoes untied because they're late. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> so any 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 small stuff that players can do would be really helpful and certainly get them best prepared. You know, we, we see guys that that expect to play well but have zero preparation or warm-up uh, and they, they get miffed when they don't start very quickly, you know. So typically we'll do stuff with players where we we use either foam roller and or a spiky ball um, just to do a bit of, uh, bit of release work with that. Then we do dynamic warm-ups. So rather than static, before you go and play, you want to get yourself, you know, elevate the heart rate a little bit, get yourself warm um, rather than actually do static stretches. So doing, you know, static lunges and squats, uh, sorry, um, dynamic lunges and squats, hamstring kicks, back slaps. Um, it's obviously, on an audio, it's difficult to show any of those. Um, but we do the dynamic warm-up stuff. Then we do a little bit of uh, resistance band activation work. So working with the, you know, the elastic band stuff, uh, just trying to activate some of the key muscle groups. And then they can start hitting balls. So that, that whole process may take, you know, before they hit balls, somewhere in the reason of 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes or something. And I think you, you won't see any of that really on the tour. If you watch um, if you watch tour players, you know, typically you just see them on the first tee when the television cameras catch them. You might see a little bit of them hitting balls, but you don't see all the stuff they do, whether they're on a, a bike or a rowing machine or working with, a, with one of the physios in the, the physio unit or whatever, or they're doing the gym work in the hotel before they, they get to the course. So you, you won't see any of that. So I think if that was more um, more heavily documented, you'd see maybe some changes in, in players' habits. But even if it's a really abridged version, a little bit of um, dynamic warm-up and then a few swings with a with a club holding the, the club head end and swinging the grip, just as a light one, you can get a little bit of movement going in there. That would be way more than players currently do as a, as a general rule. So anything like that would be really, really helpful. And Certainly, at least give you some prep physically before you go and play, so that rather than taking three, four holes to get going, you're kind of ready to go physically from the outset. No, definitely, Colin. Totally agree. Um, and that's a good thing you mentioned there about the TV cameras. If they were um, to catch the players, you know, in the gym, you know, stretching, uh, working with the physio, um, I'd certainly think it would that would have a knock-on effect for yeah. younger players, etc especially habits, you know, to do these things before they go out on the course. 
Yeah, dead right. I think that's you know young young players if they really want to get good, you know they've got dreams of becoming the best. They'll start to take on what they see the best players doing. They just mimic good players' habits, whether that's how they move or what they're doing in preparation. They'll start to move towards that if they see that as being the norm. So that would certainly be a you know quite a nice one. And there is certainly a lot of stuff now on on social media. Um, there's a lot of things on YouTube or Instagram, whatever, where the, where the players might put things on themselves. Which is great, um, you know. So players maybe will be more aware of that now than they would have been even say ten years ago. But it's still still a wee bit behind what everything else is. I think. Yeah, and then obviously for nutritional practices, you know, for golfers to get the most out of their their round. Say they were playing eighteen holes. What would the best nutritional practice be for the the golfer? You know, rather than just sugary um, yeah, yeah. junk food you know um what would you recommend if you were playing 18 holes well in terms of personal stuff i mean i mean as a kid you just didn't know any better so you went right i need something to drink and something to eat so a lot of kids will take the easy option can of coke and a mars bar and you're right it's that sugar rush and crash inevitably that happens so generally what we'll do again for most recreational golfers just a step away from that old stuff would be good so personally speaking, uh, usually if it's not a banana, um, it would definitely be, I'm a sucker for the, the peanut butter and, and jam sandwich. So um, crunchy peanut butter, a bit of uh, raspberry jam with really nice kind of seeded brown bread. I cut that into four and then every four holes I'll have one of those. So it just kind of keeps keeps it grazing. Uh, and then unsalted nuts and raisins as well. Usually have a little bag of that there. So banana, peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and jam sandwich and unsalted nuts and raisins, and then water. That's that's what I have. Um, some players will actually, believe it or not, forget to eat that if they're so engrossed in what they're doing. So some of the players, we actually advise they write on their yardage book when they turn over, you know, hole four, you know, eat whatever it is, or, you know, write what they, what they should be intaking at that stage, or on every single page or as they go off the tee, sip of water. So they're just constantly keeping hydrated. Um, and, and fueled up as they go. Now, what we used to do back in the day in our events were we'd have two rounds, two separate days, and then you'd have a cut, and then it'd be two rounds in the final day. So, you know, way back, and I'm talking kind of, I guess, 93, 94, that kind of area, um, it would be a case of, right, have a little bit to eat in the course, but between rounds, there was a quick turnaround. So you go in and grab whatever it was from the, from the restaurant, get it shoveled in, and I would really start sluggishly for the first three, four, five holes of the second round in the final day. And it was only after a couple of seasons of doing that, I thought, hold on a minute, what? there's got to be a reason why I feel sluggish. So just reflecting um, and being able to look back at habits and go, okay, well, it's always after lunch I feel sluggish. What am I doing that would be the catalyst for that? So, you know, we didn't really have any mentors back in that day. So you just kind of had to find things out yourself. And if you were of a mind to, to look for solutions, you'd find them. But um, so, so grazing constantly rather than, Having a big dump of, of, of fuel in one go, uh, for me, certainly was a heck of a lot better. But a lot of players will will, will ask the question when I ask them about how the rounds go. They might start flagging maybe the last five, six, seven holes when the form dips a little bit. Uh, when I ask about you know what they've had to drink and eat in the course, they go, uh, nothing. So they may have teed off, say they've teed off at 10 o'clock, they breakfast at 8, they're teeing off at 10, they reach the turn around 12 o'clock. So there's four hours with zero fuel and and uh, and water so for the next two or three holes they're they're pretty much flagging and going downhill quickly so 
if they're able to just keep grazing as they go, they would normally find that their their form would be maintained more evenly throughout the eighteen holes. Yeah, no, so, definitely. Yeah, we could just say a little, little and often of the right stuff, no, no sugary, rubbishy stuff, but uh, a lot, of, a lot of decent stuff in there is good. Okay, so let's talk about effective drills. Obviously, we were talking off air about this, so let's describe some effective drills for improving golf swings and overall technique. I know, obviously, we can't show this, but yeah, yeah. Let, let's yeah, talk well, about it. Well, what I generally do is um, I see players that go on to YouTube, Instagram, and look for drills, look for tips they've seen, they think there's a massive quick fix, but often they have no idea what on earth they need. So some players are pretty good at, at looking at the swing going, that doesn't look right, or this doesn't look quite where it should, but they don't understand why they have to make those movements. So often you'll get players who make certain movements because it's the only way of getting the ball a little bit more functional uh, towards a target, but the fault lies elsewhere. So we, I would always trace things back to a root cause and say, okay, what one thing is going to allow the next link or two or three in the chain to improve almost organically and then prescribe a drill or set of movements or, or movement or position uh, set up or whatever that would, that would help that happen. So I've, I've got a lot of stuff on my YouTube channel but again, it's kind of tricky because people go on there and go, ah, I hit a certain type of short shape. This one drill will cure it. But there's if, if most players slice the ball, there's so many reasons why a player would slice it in terms of their movement patterns. So there's only one combination of factors that happen at impact that make a ball slice. But what they actually do to make that impact happen is so, so wide ranging. Could be something in setup, could be something in the backswing. You'll be something at transition from back to downswing. So we've got to figure out what each player does. So I would generally say that if a player wants to know what drill they work on, they have to they have to actually see someone someone either one on one personally or have some sort of online program that they can do. And then then they're then they're taking away all the the rabbit holes they can get lost down. You know they get to the cut the chase much quicker, find out exactly what they need and go for it. There's an old um, an old phrase never taken another man's medicine and that's that's never true word for the golf either you know you don't you don't just do what someone else is doing because it works for them everyone has their own unique set of movements so um yeah you, you can often find one drill can sort two or three things because it gets to the root cause so that that's what i'd be looking at but it is it's pretty much impossible to to demonstrate any drills without without video really it'd be pretty pretty difficult to describe them yeah no no great explanation though colin thank you um, so let's talk about golfers maintaining focus and mental stamina during around the golf. How can they do that? Well, it's kind of a, it's a long, long-term thing. And on a course, you're out there for I don't know somewhere between three and five hours, depending on you know what level you're playing at. Generally, the the tour players could be on the course even longer than that. But you don't have five hours of intense concentration in the bank. Really, you've only got a certain amount, so you have to be able to switch on and off between shots so we think of the amount of time you actually spend over a shot you'll be doing on each shot again depending on the difficulty of the shot or the type of shot if you've got a, a one foot tap in you don't really need a whole lot of mental energy to to knock it in from a foot but if you've got a standard shot a tee shot an iron shot into a green wedge a little tricky pitch over a bunker there's a few things you have to work out so if we were looking at how long it would take you might do some sort of basic accountancy. So say, for example, you're hitting an iron shot into a green. 
and you might go, well, it's 140 yards to the pin. So you've got to first work out, out from there, is there any wind? Is there any slope? Where is the pin on the green? Is it front, middle, back? How much space is there? Uh, where are the hazards? So there's a little bit of um, strategy and, and, and number crunching to be done. And then you've got to figure out then what the yardage is actually playing, given the, the slope and or wind and where the constraints on the, on the whole are. So once you've actually come to your decision, that, that takes a bit of time and a bit of concentration. So you might be there for, I don't know, 20 seconds working that out. Then you go through your routine, which may take another 10, 10, 12 seconds or so on the hit. So say, for example, a minute on each, on each, every single shot you ever hit max. Then if you've got 72 shots or, you know, 80 shots, 90 shots, whatever category of player you're looking at, that's not, that doesn't add up to five hours, which is pretty lucky because you just wouldn't have that. You'd burn yourself out trying to concentrate for that amount of time. Um, you'd burn out pretty quickly on that one. So being able to switch off between shots and then switch on when you have to start switching on is, is really important. Um, little pockets of time. So the best players will, will typically do that. They might be chatting to the caddy or wandering up the fairway and they'll be, they'll be taking in information as they go, but they're not really switching on intensely um, until they actually get the clubs down and start working stuff out. But they'll, they'll do it for a little box of time. Then after they hit the shot, take a bit of learning from it and then switch off again, have a bit of chat with the caddy or other players um, or just walk down, kind of taking in the surroundings, whatever. But it's, it's that switching on and off that's the, the ability to, to have that is, is key really rather than concentrating for, for a huge amount of time with intensity. You just couldn't do it. No, fantastic, Colin. And so let's talk about you know, someone starting out golf for the first time. So what's the basic rules of golf that every beginner needs to know? Um, I would say that the most important thing for beginners, to be honest, is etiquette. If you're not actually going to be playing in medals, which a lot of beginners won't just go straight in, join a club and play a medal, they'll be probably a little reluctant early doors. They might sort of get a feel for things and start playing, figure out how things work. But etiquette's the most important thing for me as a beginner. You know, if you're... Um, able to be courteous to other players in your group and those behind and in front, then brilliant. So things like raking bunkers, fitching any pitch, pitch marks, um, keeping up with the game, the game in front, uh, not holding up those behind. And if you do feel like you're holding up someone behind, just stand aside and let them through. And you know, you'll enjoy more yourself as well rather than worrying about trying to stay ahead of the, the group behind. So etiquette for me is is way more important. Um rules, you know, there's I guess understanding that um, there are rules for competition and how you can play in a bounce game is is fairly important, I suppose. You know, if you know that when you knock a ball out of bounds, you know what the, the penalties are and how to how to re-tee. Um, but I would say for beginners, enjoy it for what you can. If you need to tee, if you need to tee up in the fairway, tee up in the fairway. If you need to fluff the grass up and pop a ball in a perfect line, do it. You know, if you can play the game for enjoyment's sake, then enjoy it. You'll almost find that as you progress and improve, you'll suddenly not have a requirement to put it on a tee or on a perfect lie. You'll just, your skill level will increase. And as it increases, you'll just find yourself not putting it on the most perfect lie. You'll just start to play as it lies. Certainly, when I was a young kid messing around on, in the park or at pitch and putt, that's what I did. And it just helps you enjoy it and stay more with it until you're until you're competent enough to be able to do it from any old position. So I would say etiquette's way more important than rules at beginner level. Once you start, playing a bit of golf with, with more experienced players, you'll probably pick up some of the rules almost by osmosis, you know, just watching what happens and 
ask the odd question here and there maybe but you'll just by seeing what happens you just kind of get get the hang of it um and then if you're actually looking at playing some competitive golf there's a few things you can do there's a couple of um rules quizzes on the rna website so randa.org r-a-n-d-a.org um there's a lot of stuff on that as well as some rules quizzes and, and whatnot so you can fire away do a little multiple choice questions um used to be a little DVD they produced as well, which kind of went through a, uh, an example of some tour events and they had some situations that happened on tour. You had to figure out what the what the rule was um, and apply it. And then they would have the, the tournament rules official explain what the ruling was and why. So that was quite interesting as well. They may have that on the website. I'm not really sure, but they used to have a, a DVD they produced on that site. Um, and it was always pretty fascinating. But most rules... We, even in our PG exams, it's an open book exam. You basically are given a scenario. You have the rule book there. And all your job is to do is understand how to look up the rule and apply it to whatever format you're playing. So you don't, no one needs to know all the rules because it's just ridiculous how many rules and, and uh, ways of applying them there are. So the basic ones would be unplayable lie, uh, ball and hazards, out of bounds, that sort of thing, you know, and that sort of thing will come up most often. Yeah, no, fantastic. And obviously, if you're starting out as a first-timer, what equipment would you need starting golf? And what would you look for when selecting your clubs and other gear? Um, It can be fairly cheap, and it'll depend, I guess, on several things. The, the quality of a beginner, there's a fairly wide-ranging uh state of abilities with beginners. Some are actually really pretty um, physically literate. Sports Joes will turn their hands to most things fairly quickly. So in which case, you know what, you can if you've got a decent budget, you can just go out and buy the whole set. But I would say from from a lot of beginners, particularly if you don't create a lot of speed, you need a wood, whether it's a three wood or a driver with lots of loft. Um, so either a, a driver with lots of loft, 12, 13, 14 degrees, or a three wood to use off the tee, you might only need then four irons. So you might need maybe, say, a sand wedge, pitching wedge, an eight iron, a six iron, uh, and a putter. And that's pretty much it. You can get going with that, no bother. Um, if you if you produce very little speed, there's no point in having a nine, eight, seven, six, five iron. You get so little difference between each club and the bag, even if struck perfectly. But the chance of striking it perfectly is so few and far between. You'll hit a lot of clubs similar lengths. So it doesn't make much sense to have a full kit if you're not producing much speed or you can't hit the ball that solidly. But you can. I mean, there's ways of, of just turning up to a range, hiring a club and having a few hits and you know getting going that way and figuring out what you might need. But get a little bit of advice. If there's a, a golf pro there or a club fitter, get a little bit of advice and say, you know, here's what I do, what would be beneficial for me specifically. Um, but it can be cheap. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to go and do things on a budget, buy second hand rather than cheap new stuff. Cheap new stuff is generally what it is. It's cheap. <laughs> you know, that's about it. There's not huge amounts of quality involved in it. Some of the stuff uh, you get, you see a lot of the, the kind of Donny and you know Dunlop kit, and it's actually a, an aluminium alloy. So the heads crack, they, they bend, they, they're, they're really poor. Um, quality, particularly the graphite shafts, so they're yeah. so, so torquey. You can almost you twist the head and the grip in opposite directions. You can feel the twists in the shaft. You could almost wring it out. So I would I would generally buy good quality stuff secondhand, and there's loads of that stuff around. That would be the, the best way to do it if you're on a on a budget. That's for sure. I would I would go down that route all day long. Oh, great advice, Colin. And 
you know, what would be the, the key safety tips for beginners starting out playing golf? Um, a couple of key rules, really. If you're if you're playing with people, make sure that when someone else is hitting, you can see their eyes. So rather than standing behind them so you can see their back, stand the other side of them so you can see their eyes and not in front of them. So as long as you're slightly behind a right angle to the line they're playing on, you know, not many people hit the ball backwards, thankfully. So if you're slightly behind the, the, the right angle off the target line, you'll be okay. If you're going to look down the target line, just make sure you're far enough back so there's no chance a club can hit you in the backswing. Um, but it's got to be sort of a good three, four metres away from a, from a player. Um, that would be that'd be plenty of space. And then just understanding if someone shouts four, <laughs> get yourself undercover, duck down, hands over the head, behind the golf bag, get out of the road, because it's pretty painful if you get hit, that's for sure, with a, with a golf ball, even at its last little bit of its flight. It's, it's a pretty hard object, so you don't want to be in, on, uh, on firing line for that. But it's, again, it's, most of it's fairly common sense, that's for sure. Um, and... Sometimes you can't avoid it. it. Can be on another fairway, miles away from someone. The ball can go sideways and, and hit you. But it's 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 unusual. And I think the of hours I've spent in the course, I've only been hit by a ball once. So um, and I was watching a tournament. It was the down at the English boys down uh, the English under 18s uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so that was that was the only time I've been hit, and that was we were in the tree line watching watching some of the players, and myself and one of the players' mums were there right in the tree line and the ball came through the trees and, and got me right in the shoulder but that's pretty, pretty painful but so, was, you know that's, that's actually your only golf injury then if you yeah I was still walking and I could still swing but it was just a bit, a bit, bit of a lump here but yeah it was fine it was fine there's no, no harm done long term that's for sure yeah and then so let's talk about scoring so Obviously, some of the listeners may not understand uh, scoring in golf. So what is the basic terms of scoring that they should know? Um, I mean, if you're going to score and you want to see what you've scored, just count every single shot you hit. You know, um, that, that's a simple one from there. But in terms of the terminology, you may have heard things like eagles, birdies, pars, bogeys, double bogeys, triple bogeys. Um if you're a relative beginner, you really don't have to worry about the eagles and birdies because you'll you'll not make many. I think the average tour pro makes something like three and a half birdies on average per round. So even elite players are making probably an average two, two and a half a round. So you don't really need to concern yourself with birdie, which uh, is one under what we call the par. So the par would be um, a, a real a real good player would, would be expected to potentially make a par in each hole. So... Typically speaking, a par three will be the shortest holes up to somewhere in the region of you know early 200 yards um, maximum. And you'd be expected to potentially be able to reach the green in the first shot and then have two putts to make your par. Um, anything one less than that, which would be two on that hole, would be a birdie. One more would be a bogey and then two more double bogey and so on and so on. So they'd be the, the kind of main ones. But I would guess uh, if you're a beginner, you know, don't really need to worry about making bogeys and no bogeys. Just go and play and enjoy it. Um, most players will probably play from a, a tee that's too far back for their ability levels or for the distance they can hit. So I would suggest if you're a relative beginner, play, play the course as short as you can probably play it um, and go from there. But most players, if, if you're playing maybe you know, a handicap golfer who's maybe playing off at 18 handicap, they'd be expected to potentially make a bogey on each hole in the course, but they'll, they'll shoot more than that on average. Um, but one over par in each hole so you basically change the par in your mind to one over so if it's a par four in your mind how can you make a five from here without 
running up anything more than that? How can you play safely around the whole strategy so that you can guarantee a five and, and without and limit the chance of making six or more? But yeah, birdies one under par, eagles two under par, um, bogeys one over par, and two over pars double bogey, and so on. So it's I mean, that's that's pretty much all the terminology there is. There's loads of terminology in terms of different aspects of the game, but as far as scoring is concerned, um, the par in each hole is, is what a, a good player can be expected to potentially make on each hole and then add 18 of those. That's the par for the for the whole course. Nah, good information there, Colin. Thank you very much. Um, so one of the last questions here Um how can I manage my frustration and maintain a good positive mindset when learning how to play golf? Um, a lot of it's expectation management. Um, we see a lot of players that, that get angry at themselves for hitting shots that aren't actually even that bad. So, um, you know, I, I think when you sign up to play the game, you know you're going to hit some bad shots. Before you go and play any round, you know you're going to hit some bad shots. So, no point in being frustrated and angry when inevitably you hit a bad shot because you knew that was going to happen in the outset, really. But if we look at some stats, there's a lot of stats from both the tour through the shot link data, um, and there's also a lot of stuff on uh, available on there's a one of the the uh, companies who track stats are called Arcos. So some players will have those Arcos little sensors on their clubs, and at the end it will give you you know you punch in all your data, it knows where you've hit shots from too. And it'll give you some information. There's a couple of guys on Twitter that you can follow that produce or, or have access to the Arcos data. And they put out a load of great information to give you an idea of what the average, for example, five handicapper or 10 handicapper or 20 handicapper will do. But there's a great little stat um, from something like, I think it's 39 yards. The average five handicap index player will take exactly three shots to hole out from 39 yards away from the hole in the fairway. The average tour pro will take three shots to hole out from the fairway from somewhere like 170 yards or thereabouts. So the, the difference between a tour player and a five index is, is enormous. So even on a, on a on the other side of the equation, tour players aren't necessarily as good as you think. So from 100 yards away in the fairway, tour players only hit 83% of greens. And the average proximity is something like 18 feet to the hole after a shot of 100 yards from the fairway. So you kind of, once you know that, you go, all right, okay, well, don't beat yourself up if you're, you know, if you're 100 yards away from the green and you miss the odd green here and there, or if you only hit it 25 feet, you know, that's that's all right. You know, that's absolutely fine. So understanding what good really looks like will allow you to temper your, your expectation management, and then you'll be less frustrated because you know that it's not as bad as you think, or... Do you know what? That will definitely happen. So I would say a lot of it's expectation management. Um, and then in terms of staying positive, I would stay open to possible. So you may be playing the worst game of your life, but when you play the worst game of your life, you still will hit good shots, just not as many as you might on your best rounds. So the question would be, is it possible that I can hit the green from this position? Or is it possible I can hit the fairway from this position? Is it possible I can hold a putt from here? And the answer is always yes. It's possible. Um, it might be um, percentage-wise less than you'd like, but it is still possible. So what would the shot have to look and feel like to be successful with it? So you're starting to see the positive stuff already when you start to figure out what it looks like. And then you just go and commit to whatever you choose and accept the result. So the, the acceptance is a, is a fairly large part of it. And if you do get 
a little mad with yourself, as tour players do get mad with themselves as well, they'll generally not carry it with them by the time they're ready to hit the next shot. They'll have left it left it good and ready. Tiger apparently has a, a sort of 10, a 10 yard line where after he's hit a shot, if he walks more than 10 yards, Washed the earth, Colin. Okay, we're back, Colin. Alrighty. So, yeah, so Tiger Woods had a, a really nice strategy. It was a, a 10 yard line. So, if he'd hit a shot, and it was a shocker. He, he would go pretty pretty mad at some point. You see him mutter some stuff and thumb a club here and there. So he would get pretty angry looking, but he wouldn't carry it with him more than 10 yards after after the shot he played. So once he's hit a shot, club back in the bag or to the caddy. And as soon as he's walked 10 yards, both that semi's left it. Learning's taken out of the shot, frustration's gone, and it's on to the next shot. You can sort of switch off. And then as he reaches his next shot, switch on again. But the, the, the shot, the bat shot, never gets carried with him beyond that 10 line, 10 yard line. So it's a, a really pretty sort of sound simple strategy. Um, most people take the easy option and just keep mumping and, and moaning for the next four or five holes. But it doesn't really do anything for perform, performance stakes, that's for sure. So being able to just leave it there, you know, get into the present by thinking, right, what's my job on this shot? What's my target on this shot? What do I want to do on this shot? What does a good shot look like on this shot? That'll, that'll help you get back in the present. And because you're so much in the present, you're not thinking about the, the shot you hit in the past. So just getting back into the present by asking yourself a question that helps you answer in the present, that's a, a pretty decent strategy too. Nah, fantastic, Colin. It's been awesome having you on the show this morning once again. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks for inviting, Scott. No, thank you. Um, just before we round up, is there at least one question you would like to ask me or... Were you happy with the show? Yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah. Just what, just what have you been up to generally? You know, obviously you've been doing a few other bits and bobs, and uh, yeah, you know, you've been so, busy well. So, what, what kind of things you've been, you've been? Um, so currently, I'm, I'm getting set for Ben Nevis. So I'm doing that on Saturday. So I'm doing that with a couple of ex Rangers players. So Afrin Newman, uh, Bert Conterman, Michael Moses, unfortunately pulled out, but he's still going to be there at the start. Um, I've got the men's 10k coming up on Sunday as well, so it's a big, big, big weekend on the legs. Yeah, is that, is that all for charity then? Is it? That's all for charity. Yes. Really? What's what's? You need to send me a link for the for the for the just giving thing or whatever. Yeah, whatever I, will, I will do. Yeah, so it's for the the Rangers Charity Foundation. Obviously, they help out with uh, the Erskine appeal, and they obviously help out with homelessness around the city as well. So. Brilliant, yeah, great cause. Um, but other than that, I've just constantly working um, and basically I've started playing tennis as well, so I've taken that up. I've actually got... Still, a, yeah. yeah, so... Oh, so you, you ducked it a little bit there, didn't you, that last little bit? Um, so I've started playing tennis now as well. Um, oh, another racket sport. 